It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Four new coronavirus cases in the NBA, including Kevin Durant, and it's Jalen Brown Day on the Wednesday Locked On Celtics. Millies, let's go. Jay's back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This is the truth like 34. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, that's the best way. Wednesday, we're marching along with our player in deep deep dives uh, today, Jalen Brown, and joining me today to talk about this, uh, Chris Grenham of Forbes. Chris, how you doing? Chris, how's it going, man? How's your quarantine? Ah, uh, good, good. You know, actually, you know, I'm honest with you, this this might actually be good for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a positive thing. This is actually going to be a positive development. Like, I'm I'm eating food that I cook. Um, so it's like not a lot of processed stuff. I'm not living on the road. Um, I'm sleeping more than I have in a long time. I was, that was the first thing I noticed. I've been sleeping more than I have in the last three years, like way more. So that's a huge positive. That's a big positive. Not being up till three in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, you live, those are your hours during the season. You're, you're the, probably the biggest night owl on the beat. You you like, you get that second wind and you thrive late. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I come in hard for landing about two forty five, but, um, I, I I definitely am am fine with the later, later hours, but with nothing to kind of keep my attention, I'm going to bed a little earlier usually. And, you know, I can't get to the gym, but I'm running a little bit more. I'm getting some some miles in. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. There, there are, there are silver linings here. It's funny that if you are a traveling beat reporter, not traveling, it's like, oh, I've got kind of like this is actually not bad. So Some, it's somewhat of a somewhat of a normal lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So for me, in those like if I'm looking for a silver lining and trying to have fun with a very serious topic, I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually going to be helpful <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, but, this is actually good. Yeah. So I and I understand. Like, so this is obviously still a very serious topic. Um, and I always want to preface all of this by saying I know that this is all very serious. And I don't want to be like flipping about it, but it's we're also trying to have some fun and Definitely. kind of keep keep the conversation a little bit light. But there are serious things, including four Brooklyn Nets. It was announced by the Nets on Tuesday. Four Brooklyn Nets testing positive, and it came out that Kevin Durant is one of them. And it turns out that uh, it was reported that after they came back from San Francisco, they decided they they paid for private uh, COVID nineteen testing. And they got these results. So I don't know. This is like the first NBA player that we can, that that isn't tied to playing against Rudy Gobert. Right. So, um, I think so. I think that that's like time. It's time for us to, if there are still people on Twitter or in the NBA sphere somewhere, kind of blaming Rudy as patient zero. I think it's time we can kind of wash that away. Like, Hopefully he can kind of like push that aside because I think that's kind of an unfair thing that a lot of people pinned on him well, at the start of this. I also think it was kind of he pinned it on himself. Yeah. Like, by being yeah. a bit of a dick about it. Yes. Like, yes, that's like, fair. If he just became like he was just the first guy that was tested positive. You're like, right. oh, OK, well, we've got a guy. That's very true. It didn't help him, you know, rubbing hands all over microphones and right. kind of messing around and not really taking it seriously. Yeah. If he if he was just normal guy testing positive and he didn't have all that then none of this would really be a big deal but totally fair because, he brought a lot of it on himself because he didn't take it seriously and because he had that video yeah it's like oh well you know screw you rudy and then right. you know what and that i think is earned he earned that like he, he doesn't deserve like vitriol like he wasn't being malicious about it he's not a bad person for it but like totally but he really didn't handle he didn't do it well whatsoever yeah any favors so, but uh, I found it interesting that they were in San Francisco and then all these guys tested positive. San Francisco is like the hot spot in the United States. Like they are in shelter in yeah, place. Yeah. So it just highlights, I think, the 
be careful where you go. Who knows if Durant was out in San Francisco and you, you just don't know who's carrying it and you don't know, like the scariest part, uh, Chris is, is that three of these guys are, are asymptomatic. You right. just don't know if you have it. Yeah. That's the, that's the scariest part about this whole thing, in my opinion, and talking with my friends and stuff. A lot of people, when this whole thing started, you know, people are finding out they're going to be working from home for six weeks and that sort of thing. So the first thought in their mind for, you know, a 25 year old guy in Boston is, well, maybe I'll go home and see my parents for a week. Right. It's like, well, no, because I could be carrying this thing, especially like for me, my concern was initially I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go home and see my parents. But we were with the jazz that Friday night. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I, I could be showing no symptoms. You could be showing no symptoms. That's mm-hmm. the scariest part of this whole thing. You could be going to the grocery store and you could just go to, I don't know, grab a bag of lettuce and then you could give it to some poor 80 year old who comes over and is using the same section right after you. That's without question the, the scariest part. And, and definitely that was kind of the thing that stuck out to me about this Nets news too, is that three of those four guys were showing no symptoms too. So that's, that's a scary thing and, and a yeah. good reminder that anybody can be a carrier. So yep. don't think I had a conversation with my best friends today. Just because you feel good and you're not – just don't think that you're going to be okay, and that's all that matters. You could be a right. carrier. So, uh, And now the other thing is that the NBA, it was uh, announced by Adrian Wojnarowski, is planning to essentially double its credit line from $650 million to uh, 100 well, – I'm sorry, $1.2 billion. And – this is, uh, I think, significant. I'm not 100% sure what exactly it's going to allow them to do mm-hmm. other than, as Woj said, allow the league to increase cash flow through what's expected to be an extended shutdown of the season. The, I don't know if this means you're just going to pay like coaches and executives and, you know, Brad Stevens is still going to get his paycheck and right. so on and so forth, but like also. I, I don't. How much does this impact? Is this going to impact the salary cap? Are they going to try to use this as a way to mitigate some of the the salary cap impact? Because just from a pure basketball perspective, Chris, we're, we were looking at 115 million dollars, and right. that could be down. What if that goes down to 100 million dollars as a salary cap next season? Teams essentially lose a major, like 15 million dollars that you could have had to pay a player. Is gone if you yeah, have that, that space. It's insane. The business, the business aspect of this, and the financial impacts that are going to be had for the next couple months are going to be fascinating to watch. Obviously, like you said, this credit line jump is massive. I mean, moving from six hundred fifty million to one point two billion dollars—that is a huge jump. So it is going to be interesting to see like what that really means because yeah, we can tell that's a lot of money. That's a big increase, but what does that necessarily mean? Each team is going to do. What are they going to use that for? Uh, there's a variety of ways they could. I think there's a lot of, like you said, whether it be front office guys, coaches getting their full salary, whether that helps them kind of hold up their G League franchises too, because obviously now we know that the G League guys are going to get paid through the remainder of their season, seasons. And like Woj pointed out the other day, when him and uh, Malik Andrews, I think it was, broke that story, G League, they're they're they suck money out of NBA franchises to begin with. And so now the fact that they're not going to bring in any revenue for the remainder of their seasons and they're still going to get paid out, I'm sure that's going to come into play with this too. But the financial edge of this is just going to be pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be – like we've been so focused, rightfully so, on the immediate impact. Like when are the games coming back? You know, right. People – like are you healthy? Who's, who's testing positive and – you know, just from a selfish perspective, like you said, I was there when the Jazz were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 does that mean for me? And and we're we're very short term focused because that's what you have to be in a situation like this. But right. from a uh, bigger picture business perspective, the um, the the long term impact is is going to be huge. Now, I talked about this. I just finished recording the Locked On NBA podcast with Jake Madison. I got in. I got into this conversation with him as well. So go ahead and subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. Uh, I do the Wednesday show. We're going to continue doing the Wednesday show throughout this hiatus. We'll figure out topics for the full NBA as we continue to navigate these really uncertain waters. So subscribe and get a lot more on the league 
as far as what they might be doing on the Lockdown NBA podcast. Now, up next, we'll have our in-depth conversation about Jalen Brown, what we thought coming into the season, what he did this season, and then moving forward, what he needs to do to get better. Stick around. That's coming up right after this. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're doing these kind of in order, I think, of what the biggest story is this this year. Um, so we started off this week with Jason Tatum because of the leap. Then Kemba Walker because Kemba's new, and he's, I think, been at the center of so much of that's that's gone well, just for the simple fact that he is he unselfish and has kind of allowed through his step back these guys to take their steps forward. Jalen Brown is among them and I don't know about like coming into this season, I had my opinion, which I've I've gotten roasted for, but you know, you you have your opinions coming into the season. What can a guy be? And I thought you know, I see Jalen Brown as basically a high-end role player. I kind of, I kind of compared him to the Andre Iguodala's of the world. When you thought about him coming into this season, what was your kind of take about what what he could be as a player? I mean, I, I think people will hear high-end role player and think that's almost like an insult. But yes, I think that's, a, I think that, yeah, and <laughs> people, I'm sure people ran with that. But I think that's an accurate. Like portrayal. I mean, he averaged what 13 and four last year in 74 games and he was behind Kyrie and behind Tatum. And this year coming in, you're expecting him to be that third guy, which he still kind of is behind Tatum and Kemba. So a high end role player isn't necessarily an insult to Jalen Brown's game. I think that's where he fit. And I think he was very good as it fitting that mold. You know what I mean? Um, I also don't think many people whether they'll tell you it or not at this point, many people expected him to make this kind of jump because Tatum, of course, has, like you said, it's been the leap. Like he has made improvements within a season that just are not supposed to happen. Like he has obviously taken the headlines with that, but Jalen Brown's jump, whether it be ball handling, whether it be, there is a myriad of improvements that he has made. Um, But coming into this season to answer your question, I think a, a high-end role player, someone who's vital to this team, but is essentially a role guy is, yeah, that's probably what his, what he would have been labeled as. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so, and, and you can almost argue that that's still what he is, but like right. the, the 
extreme, extreme, extreme high end of that. Um, but, right, the high end role player who could potentially work his way into the all star conversation, like he did, like that that high high end. Right, um, and it's I I don't want to like. I don't want to put him in these boxes, but that's what we do. We kind right. of like try to we, we try to assess what these guys are going to be. And the so if Tatum is the star player, what make and we this was a, a good conversation before the season started and as the season was going, when we were having the the all star conversation, it was like pick one. Who would it be? Now I picked Jalen up until like right before they made the selection. There was those few weeks where Jalen kind of got hurt and he kind of dipped a little bit and, and Tatum was making a, a little bit of a jump. Up until then, I was like, I, I'm still kind of team Jalen on, on if I had to pick one because he was so efficient early on. But the argument was, hey, Tatum has to do so much more. He's out there creating a lot yeah, of his own right. offense, whereas Jalen is kind of assisted on a lot of his, his offense, uh, which is, again... It's not, it's not an insult to say these things. Right. That's, that's just how the puzzle pieces fit. It's just the way it works. I mean, he more so than anyone benefits from that balanced offense. Like he has made incredible improvements in the last year, but you have to note that Kyrie leaving created a more balanced offensive system. And Jalen, I think probably more than anyone was the beneficiary of that. He, like you said, Tatum's out there creating on his own. He's creating his own shot more. Jalen is on the side benefiting from, you know, certain half courts. He, he just, he benefits from that balanced offensive set. And so I, I think that, again, people take that as an insult, like you said, but it's really not. I, and I think it's more so like a, a testament to what a perfect fit he is in this system and what a perfect fit he is with this team. And also, Another addition to the list, to the long list of why Kemba was the perfect quote unquote star point guard that this team kind of needed because it's, he's perfect alongside Jalen. Yes. Yes. So Jalen spent a lot of this season, like part of why he broke through some of the things that we were thinking. Like, so go back to the beginning of the season and he's coming off a year. Like people like to think that last year, Jason Tatum had a, a step backwards where he, I don't think he did. He just no, didn't take yeah. a big step forward. Like people expected. Right. I think Jalen Jalen was both the guy who took a little bit of a step back, but also who navigated all of that stuff last year, maybe better than anybody. Cause he willingly accepted that step back going mm -hmm. to the bench. Um, that worked out perfectly for him. Um, this year, he kind of broke through a lot of that stuff by tightening up a lot of the things that he was he was not doing well. Uh, the one thing I kept harping on, and this goes along with that tightened handle of his, like to to be a better ball handler opens up so much more that mm -hmm. you're able to do. I think the first two and a half years or so, Jalen Brown was. Well, he was a lot like Jason Tatum in the first couple months of the season where you he could drive, he could attack, but he had like one speed and it was flying into the into the teeth of the defense. Yeah. And I was I'm either going to dunk on you, or I'm going to challenge you. This is it. I'm challenging the defense. What changed at the end of last year and especially in the beginning of this year is how he varies that attack. The way he attacks the basket now, I think is beautiful. I think yeah. it's a great change of speed, change of direction, better ball handling, a, a move and a counter move, uh, a little bit of work in the post, a little bit of that fadeaway jumper in the middle of the lane. Uh, that that stuff is so huge when it comes to him because a lot of times when he's catching the ball, he doesn't initiate the offense. He gets the ball off of Kemba or Tatum or Hayward. Like he, mm -hmm. that's what he does. He catches the ball on the move often when the defense is either in rotation or switching and he can take advantage of these little openings. And that's where he's, he's particularly deadly. 
And that's, I think, his greatest improvement and why he was a borderline all-star and why he can be an all-star in the future is that he now has moves and counter moves and he knows how to vary that attack at the rim and he can he can now score from 15 feet in uh much much better than he has at any point in his career yeah i mean his his finishing package as a whole is completely different like you said at the beginning of his career and even last year when he would drive and he he's going to the hoop he's got his head down and he's just kind of barreling through the lane and he's i gotta finish at the rim and there's no other option really and now he's shooting 10 of 10 to 16 feet in that range. He was shooting at least as of a couple of weeks ago, he was shooting just over 50%. And I think a lot of that, that extra finishing ability, whether it's, you know, a mid range shot, whether it's that patience around the foul line to then make another move and then go to the hoop. I think a lot of that has to do with his court vision. I think his court vision has dramatically improved. Again, it comes back to when he was coming out of Cal, he was that raw athletic kid who, mm-hmm. yeah, was a tremendous athlete. He, he was cool quick but he was oh so raw and he wasn't really able to finish all that well kind of similar to Tatum and he could not put the ball on the floor you know kind of confidently I guess you could say because he just he was all over the place when he put the ball on the floor now he's got the court vision he's got the tight handle he's patient he can shoot mid-range and he's confident in pulling up around the free throw line his finishing package is it's vastly different than what it was so in terms of you know defending him you don't really know what he's going to do and he tackles mismatches probably better than anyone in that wing group that the celtics have uh they all do relatively well they're all long they're all around the same size but at 6'6 223 jalen's actually he's pretty strong so he's also got the versatility where he can go inside and he can battle with a four more so than someone like tatum can so Back to your original point, I think a lot of it comes down to his court vision because having that court vision and kind of knowing that he doesn't just have to put the blinders on and barrel in at the rim opens everything up. It allows him to be more patient, which then allows him to create those lateral quick moves, but also they're methodical and they're they're well thought out. And I think just that court vision and really it's an evolution of his basketball IQ and that's expected in his fourth year but i think it all kind of came together this year at once at once which is why he he made that leap which is getting overlooked a little bit because of tatum's leap but it's been really really impressive and pretty fun to watch yeah yeah for sure here's the stat that you were i think referring to eight to 16 feet last season the 18 19 season eight to 16 feet 42.1 percent uh this season Eight to sixteen feet, fifty-one point. Yeah, there it is. That's a huge jump. That's that ten percent jump, basically, in that range is just massive. It's huge because and and the ability that that's a playoff type shot. Mm-hmm. That's a shot where in the playoffs you're not going to get all the way to the rim. In the playoffs you're going to have to figure out like people crap all over the mid-range shot and mid-range shots are inefficient unless you can hit them efficiently and that eight to 16 feet at 51%, that's the number you need to be at Yeah. to, to be able to take that shot with regularity. And it, and the quote unquote analytics don't apply the, that's a good shot. That's going to be a shot that teams give up. That's a shot that the Milwaukee bucks in their defense don't get to the rim. Like let you have some of the threes, but if they run you off the line, that's a shot that you're going to get 16 footers, 14 footers, 12 footers when you're attacking and the teeth, of the teeth of the defense are it, it's, it's a front line of the Lopez twins and Giannis. You better hit that eight to 16 footer. Yeah. Cause you're not getting to the rim. You're not getting all the way to the rim. Yeah. No shot. Uh, and, and I think, I think also it's, it's amazing that if I were to have told you at the beginning of the year that he was going to be better in the eight to sixteen feet range, than eight to sixteen foot range, than Hayward, because that's kind of Hayward's that's Hayward's like, money bread and butter, and and the fact that Hayward is fifty point four, so Jalen's got a little bit better percentage than him right there. I mean, that's incredible. I would have never thought that Jalen would have made that jump, and it's and it's huge. It's opened up his entire game. Yeah, that that's exactly it. Because and I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again. I consider that shot to be kind of a body blow because. Yep. 
they take away the shots at the rim, they take away your three-pointers, and they give you that shot. If you can hit that shot at a clip like this, and why it's so important, why I call it a playoff shot, if you can hit that regular, then that's a killer. That's like hitting a three. You're hitting that at enough of a point where you're scoring enough points where it counts the same as if you were taking threes at the league average. If you're I mean, good. No, and you're, and I mean, against a team like the Bucks and even the Sixers, like that's a shot they're going to give you. Right. And so body blow is like a perfect phrase for that. You're, you're right. If, if you can hit that consistently and if you have guys like Hayward and Brown who can hit that consistently, that is massive over the course of a seven game series. Just that's unbelievable. Right. And then what's that? What ends up happening? You hit that shot with enough regularity. Inevitably, someone on the defense feels like, God, I got to take that away. They got to creep up. Yeah. That shot is killing us. Right. And if that shot is killing you and Lopez takes one of the low, Lopez's low pie, take a couple of <laughs> steps forward, then what happens? That opens up a little bit of a driving lane. That right. opens up a backdoor cut. That opens up so many other little things that all of a sudden, it's, like I said, the body blow. It lowers the gloves that were up protecting the face. If you've got to protect that body, the next thing you know, that headshot is open. And that's, that's how boxing matches are won. That's how knockouts happen. And that's, it's that slow progression. Brad would call it hitting singles. Those singles. <laughs> Brad loves those baseball he references. He loves hitting singles. <laughs> he loves hitting singles. But that's, that's the single right yeah. there. You string five of those singles together, you've scored a couple of runs. And that's, that's what opens things up in, in a playoff where, a lot of things are kind of taken away. Whistles are swallowed, and you have to kind of dive into those mid-range shots. So that fadeaway, that shot that he got, um, what was the overtime game where he hit the game winner? Who was that against? Uh, I mean, not the game winner. The, the game tying, the game tying shot um, where they missed the free throw. Why am I drawing a blank on that? Um, oh, that was that was very recent too. We show where the oh 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 uh, against um uh <laughs> Brooklyn. Wait, wait, wait. Brooklyn yeah Brooklyn. Brooklyn yeah Brooklyn jeez was it Brooklyn I think it was the it was the Brooklyn game because they blew it and then they got they missed the free throw to tie it up and then they lost in the overtime because where are you talking about the game this is great radio where are you talking about the game where he he hit the it was the three off the missed yes was that Brooklyn I don't think so because Brooklyn, I was down. Was that Houston? I was up in the halo for the game where he hit the game tying one, and I was down for the Brooklyn game. Oh well, whatever it was, I'm drawing a complete blank. Yeah, oh, everyone knows what we're talking about. <laughs> Jeez, this is awesome yeah. radio. Um, what was the last time we were at the? It feels like we were at the Garden three years ago. So it was a, it was a long time it's ago. It's been like three weeks. Yeah, it feels yeah. like. Um, but then he had that that shot in the OT to. Um, to to go it was to win. It was Houston. That was that was the Houston game. It was Houston. And yeah. that was the fadeaway. That that's the shot we're talking about. Right. The fadeaway shot. Where's the shot that he's been hitting? Exactly. A lot. So, anyway, I think that more than anything. And and then one other shot that I think has been huge for him. Uh, his three point shooting has been has been really good yeah. this year. Uh, the last season. Well, let me give you this season because the corner three has been big for him. Uh, the corner three, left corner, 45.5%. Right corner, 48.6%. Last season, he had some weird struggles in the right corner where he was 27.5%. So mm. that that's another huge uh, step. Being able to catch and shoot and hit those corner threes um, – has been just massive because that's the thing that you talk about playing off of Kemba, playing off of Tatum. Right. When those guys get blitzed, being able to hit that shot makes it less likely for them to help off of you to like, if, if you're on that same side and you set up where a guy has to make a decision and if Kemba's driving or Jason's driving and they just sag off of you just a little too much, hitting that catch and shoot three at the clip that he's hitting it over 45% on both sides, that's just, 
that that's a killer shot. That that right there, you talk about the knockout blow. The mid-range shot is the body blow. This is the knockout punch right there because now all of a sudden the defense is sagged in, and if you're hitting those corner threes, that piles up real fast. Yeah, and also the fact that Kemba and Tatum can be confident to kick it out to him and know that he's going to hit that is is huge too because yes. they can confidently drive in and, and kick out to the lane. And I'm looking right now, his uh, he has 52 field goals that were assisted by Kemba and 43 from Tatum. Those are the most, the top two out of anyone on the team. So it's clear that they're the ones that are feeding him, um, especially in those corner shots. So yeah, th- those are, those are massive. And yeah, that's the knockout blow. All right. Let's, uh, let's a look at the things that he's done. Well, now we'll take a quick break and say, what can he fix? What can he do better to take another step forward? I want to remind you that Postmates is giving you, of free delivery credit for your first seven days. If you download the Postmates app for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for the first seven days if you use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. So start your free deliveries, download the app, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. So JB has had a fantastic season. If the regular season ends now, uh, this was, I mean, I mean, obviously it's the, the best season of his career, but the, the leap forward that he's taken has been phenomenal. He's averaging 20.4 points per game, which is huge. He's third in the team in scoring. He's grabbing 6.4 rebounds. It's 2.2 more than last year. 2.2 assists. That's almost a full assist more. He's got more steals. Uh, an extra turnover, but that goes with the higher usage. His shooting is way up. Uh, 49% overall field goal percentage. 38% from three, which is the second best of his career and just a fantastic number. Uh, overall, just... It, and, and let's see, 73.5% from the line. For a guy that came into the season shooting about 65 66%, for him to come in and shoot almost 74% from the free throw line is, is a huge improvement. Uh, but there are still things that he can do better. And I, I think for, for Brown, the number one thing that still, I think, plagues him is is inside his own head. And I think the number one thing that he needs to really focus on is keeping his focus on the floor because there are still, I think, too many times where he looks either lost or, for lack of a better term, he spaces out. You can kind of see that that 100-yard stare, as it's called, or whatever, that that kind of looking into nothingness. And I, I remember a few games where people were like pointing at him to tell him where to go on right. the offense, where it's like, you you know where to go. He knows how to play. He knows this, this offense. But there are still times where he just zones out. And he, I think, first and foremost, needs to find a way when he's on the court to stay in the moment and another Bradism make the next right play that I think if, if he can focus on that letting mistakes get past him, whatever's happening off the court or whatever's going on in his head, if he can focus on what's happening in front of him, then he's got a lot more room to have to, to eliminate a lot of the lapses that still plague his game. Yeah. I I think he's done a good job of, of controlling that a little more this year. Sure. Uh, we saw him go through it in the beginning of early, early January. Uh, what he, what would happen a lot in the last couple of years, again, less so this year, but it happened again in early January is those lapses that you're talking about. They kind of tend to string together for him. Yes. Where it, it becomes this consistent lapse for whether it's a week, whether it's three games whatever it is, it, they would string together. 
and he'd get caught in that tunnel. And I'm looking just after the first week of January, he had kind of a rough patch against uh, Philly. He had six points. Pelicans, he had 13 points. Chicago, he had 19 points, but kind of a choppy game. Like it would string together like that. So if, say, he does still fall into that lapse, because over the course of an NBA schedule, that's going to happen. You know, it's it's just bound to your your goal is to limit that. But it's going to happen if, for his sake and the Celtics, obviously, you can limit that from then running into the next game and the next game after that and even potentially the following one. That is what I think is really key. And like you said, it's about making that – it's very, very much a Bradism, but making that next right play. It even kind of falls into – making that next right play and then leaving everything else behind and leaving everything in your, you know, if you fall into it for one game, leaving that game behind and moving on to the next. That's been difficult for him in the past more so than it is. I think other guys, I think if he can leave some of those games in the past and just jump right to the next one, that will help him immensely. But again, he's, he's been very, very good this year compared to last year and the year before about jumping out of those lapses. They've been shorter, stints than they have been in in years past in my opinion for sure for sure and it's it's something that obviously he knows he has to work through yeah um, he's a young kid you know 23 years old i yeah, he's still 23 it's yeah. outrageous that he yeah right so uh there there's still so much growth to his game uh he is a thoughtful guy he is um i think his mind is very active. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, honestly, the, you know, the one thing coaches say is if you're thinking out there, you're dead. Right. That's, you have to be reacting. Now that's not necessarily like universally true. Like you have to like, as the team is bringing the ball up, you can be thinking about what do you see? Where are these guys going? Who's on the floor? What do they tend to do? Once the play starts to happen, you are reacting. Yeah, it's pure reactionary. It's, and if you if you aren't, if you're if you're still thinking, or if your mind is like, oh, I can't believe I missed that shot, or I can't believe I turned the ball over, or if you're saying to yourself, Come on, Jalen, you're better than this. Right. That's where the backdoor cuts happen. That's where the lapses go, and you you don't switch when you're supposed to switch. Or, you know, you didn't rotate or you're caught too deep. Like, those mistakes really, like you said, they pile up. And it really hurts on the on the defensive end. Like right. That's, that's where he can really, really be a detriment. When, when It's almost like when that's happening, you don't, like, maybe you pull him out and, like, okay, snap, snap back into this. Yeah. Whatever it is, you got to focus. Whatever it's a word, whether they hypnotize them, <laughs> something like there's got to be a hey, buddy, like you got to get your head back into this because right. when he's focused and reacting, he can be extraordinarily good. Yeah, uh, I think I think what you noted about the defensive end is really important because that is where the lapses really do hurt because especially with this year's team, they're balanced enough where they have other options at the wing. You know, if he's in a lapse, they could turn to A or they could turn to Tatum, whatever. Defensively, his versatility is so important. Yes. And especially if it's down the stretch where they need him to battle with a four on the other team, something like that. He's strong enough where he can do that, but they rely on that so heavily, especially in important games against bigger teams like the Bucks, even against the Sixers. They do rely on his versatility defensively a lot. And so when he goes through these lapses, he can get beat pretty easily. He's shown to be you know, beaten pretty easily defensively, and that's where the problems really, really pile up for this team. Yeah, so on top of that, there are still things that he can do a little bit better. Um, mm. I like I like where he is, though. Like, I like totally. his offensive game. So, like, his ball handling can still be a little bit better. Um, mm. his, his free throw shooting, like, maybe he can find a way to get to the line a little bit more. Uh, I think his ability to pass is, is something that he needs to work on. Like the drives that he has, like when he gets stuck, like the ability to kind of read and then read that second line of the defense. So once you get past your guy, there's that first line of the defense where you're like, okay, 
if he does this, I got that. I got that option. But like, if he does this, then that guy's going to do this. So I'm going to set up the other guy in the other corner by attacking that second guy. Like, I think sometimes like the best of the best, the person who's in front of him almost doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They're thinking past him. Yeah. Like that's once the defender who's on me, like I don't care about him at all because I've, I've already got, once that person's on me, I've got him beat. I know how to beat that guy. How am I going to beat the next guy? And when you can beat the next guy, that opens up the whole world because now that's, you know, what 40% of the defense you've got in the palm of your hands. And if you can be like the puppet master, be like, all right, I, once I beat this guy, I'm going to do this to this guy. And now that's going to open up this other pass because I know they're going to pinch in and that this high opposite pass can open up like that type of stuff is the elite level stuff. It's like that second tier of court vision. You know, we were talking about the development of his court vision before, which has been tremendous over the last three years ish, four years, but it's that second tier that somehow Tatum has already begun to develop immensely over the last couple months. Um, but it's that next tier that really separates guys and separates guys in the offensive end. So we'll see, but you're, you're right. That's definitely something that would really, really open up his offensive game nicely. So that I think, and, and, I think uh, he's got like another level. Like, but now, I guess I can take this opportunity to maybe reassess what I think his ceiling is, even though right. I know that his ceiling that that can change. Um, is is high end role player still something that applies to him? My my fear, if I'm going to have express a fear, is that someday I don't I don't want to use names because I don't want to say I think he's going to be Harrison Barnes. Right. But like, I do have a fear that he might end up going down a Harrison Barnes path where he's a huge part of a very, very good team. And in this mix of being a huge part of a very good team, teams are going to be like, Hey, you're number three in Boston, but we want you to be our number one. And then yeah. he goes somewhere to be a number one. And they're like, Oh, why do we pay this guy all this money? Right now? He could end up being a number one guy. He could be. He could end up being good enough. Like if he does the things that we're saying, I think then he becomes a next level type of player. But I don't know. Like, can he be the number one guy on a team, or is he still like a number two or number three guy? I still feel like, especially on this team with Tatum, I still think he's going to be behind Tatum. But definitely, it's so tough to tell in a group like this, you know, it is, it is like it, it's so difficult to, but I, but I think you're right. I think he's pretty much solidified, at least after watching the jump that Tatum's taken, I think he's pretty much solidified himself behind him at least. Yeah. And in, right. at that point, what I don't want for him is to get caught up in this. Like, yeah. And honestly, like here I am talking about it on a podcast, like he should not be listening to people like me. Right. Like he, he's Hey, man, he's quarantined. He's got a lot of free time <laughs> on his hand. This is dangerous. He could be listening right I, now. I don't know. I don't know who listens. I don't know if, if any of the people, friends of his or family or whatever, right. people. Stuff that happens in the media gets around to guys. And yeah. so, like, I always have to preface this by saying, like, I think he's – I always thought that he was going to have, like, a long, like, 15-year great Solid, NBA consistent career. career. Yeah. Like, like – the type of career that very, very few people have right. that when you look back on it, is it, it's going to be a, a career that people are like, wow, that's, that was a really good career. Now the question is, does he end up having a really nice career or does he end up having a hall of fame career? Does right. he end up having like, does he make another jump forward? Like Tatum, I sit there and I say, that kid's going to have a hall of fame career. Mm-hmm. I think that someday I'm going to be covering his enshrinement into the hall of fame. Right. Will I, will I be doing the same for Jalen Brown? And obviously it's way, way, way too early, but I I think that if I'm projecting it out that I don't know, I don't know if he reaches that level, but can he be like a guy that maybe you have a debate about, or you're like, yeah, not a hall of famer, but still one hell of a career. Like that's still going to be a guy who makes $300 million and, or whatever it is. And, and, and has a very nice life and is set and can do all of the other things that he wants to do. 
Totally. And he'll find his way onto a couple all-star teams here. I have, I have no doubt at some point he's already made a, a nice jump this year, but you're right. It, it is, it's tough to tell at this point. I think in between those two levels, that potential hall of famer or, you know, the tier below that, I think he could find his way somewhere in between that. Again, this is all quarantine speculation, <laughs> right, but I, right. I think, uh, but, but again, he is certainly, and I think we are very much in agreement on this. He is off to a tremendous, tremendous start and much better than I thought after watching. I thought he was going to take, putting it simply, I thought he was going to take longer to develop when the Celtics drafted him than he has. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's so fair. that's kind of where I stand. Like, I can see Tatum being an MVP. Can I see Brown being an MVP? Right now, I don't, I don't know. I would, yeah. I, if I had to pick yes or no, I'd say no. But, but me too. But if, if he'd had, Let's say he had an MVP season. I wouldn't sit there and be like, oh, my God, this is so shocking. I don't expect it. But if he makes certain improvements, you never know. Yeah, and a lot of it's because of the group he's in. It's, you know, a lot of it's because he's around. It's tough for his role to push into that MVP tier when he's with Tatum, when he's with Kemba. So, yeah, we don't really know. We don't really sure. But either way, um Still think he's got a few, definitely a few things to improve on, and at least he's like, look, he's locked in, he's making money, he's he's ready to kind of be a part of this future, and we'll see what happens with his next contract. But um, like, I enjoy, I enjoy having him around. I think he's a very thoughtful young man. Yep. Um, he. Does, I think he's. Per- I think his style. I think he fits perfectly with this group, particularly this yes, year. As well. He's a great fit. Yeah. Um, I like I like what he's pursuing off the court. I think he's like he's very thoughtful. I think he's been fantastic throughout this coronavirus scare. Like yeah. being very responsible. Um, his his Instagram live was so perfectly timed. Yeah, like that before all the Rudy Gobert stuff happened, he had a a very very thoughtful Instagram live kind of discussing coronavirus, discussing the concerns around it, why we should be concerned, why, and it was perfectly timed i thought it was really thoughtful but it's that kind of thing that is is promising about him i definitely i want i want to make sure that this is included in this because it's an important part and i think i think this is an important part for him um because we're sitting here it's it's a basketball podcast we talk basketball uh but he may be more than anybody on the team outwardly is pushing like i'm i'm a person I'm not just a basketball player. I right. have these thoughts. I, I want bigger things than just basketball. Now, part of it is building a brand, and that's what they do. That's what kids in the NBA do nowadays. You build brands. Right. But also, he is very conscious. He is um, trying to break stereotypes. Um, I think he's very conscious of the the stereotype of the young black athlete. Mm-hmm. And he wants to break those stereotypes of being a guy that, hey, I came from Atlanta. I came from a situation that maybe wasn't the best, um, you know, single mom and, you know, could have gotten into some things and basketball kind of got me out. But because basketball got me out doesn't mean that's all I am. Right. He wants to be seen at Harvard. He wants to be seen at MIT. He wants to be a, a role model. Uh, he was talking about equality in the education system. All of that stuff is very important. And I think as part of the bigger picture of who Jalen Brown is like to have a guy like that on this team is also important to the city, you know, like to have a guy that is very focused on that kind of stuff is important to have in the community. All of these Celtics, all of these athletes do a lot of great things in the community for sure. Jalen, that's, that's his thing. And, more importantly than can he be an MVP? Can he be a Hall of Fame guy? What's he going to be? I think he, his most important contribution to the city of Boston is he's out there trying to make a difference, and he might be the guy that inspires young boys and girls, especially young boys and girls of color, to to be things that maybe they didn't think they could be. Right. From I was that's what I was going to say. From a role model standpoint, I mean it it doesn't really get much better than Jalen yeah. right now. I mean. Talk about a well-rounded young – at 23 years old, nonetheless, a well-rounded athlete. I mean, just a tremendous person, well-spoken. He knows that there is things beyond basketball. He knows that basketball isn't his end game, which I think is extremely important 
And like we've said, extremely important for kids that are looking up to him and even fans to know that there are it's it's not all just basketball here. There's bigger things. And he's used his platform as as well as anyone. It's really great. Yeah. Like role model is a good way to put it. Like he's he is um, he's a guy like not all athletes are role models, but right. he is a guy that I, I can see, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, having a long term impact uh, in the community. Uh, both here in Boston, back home in Atlanta, uh, and being a guy that I think uh, young kids at some point will look back and be like, you know what, Jalen Brown made a difference in my life, which yeah. is going to be the most important thing that he does in the grand scheme of things. 100%. Uh, on, on top of him being a very, very good basketball player, which gives him that platform. So it's, it's kind of like added inspiration for him to like be even better at basketball because the better he is at basketball, the more opportunity he has to speak out on these things. Right. The bigger that platform becomes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it goes, it goes hand in hand. I'm I'm glad that he's got that opportunity. Um, I'm I'm very impressed by him in that regard. So uh, I I feel like the story of Jalen Brown has to include that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause it's vital to who he is and it's vital to, to where he currently is in his career. It's impressive. And that, that portion is continuing to grow too, which is just as important. All right, everybody, go check out Chris Grenham's stuff on Forbes. We're all going to be trying to figure out a way to create content over the course <laughs> of the next seven or eight weeks. Hopefully basketball comes back soon and we can get back to the X's and O's of it. But Lockdown Celtics will still be here, so please subscribe. You got ideas for ways to carry us through this entire hiatus. So the plan is to still do podcasts. Uh, the tone will change, things will change, but still basketball. Uh, and we'll still be here for you free daily Monday through Friday. So subscribe, give that good five-star rating, a good written review. Really appreciate all those. That's the show. want to tell, uh, thank everybody again. And now tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.